pop quiz. What is the first Bible passage that pops into your head when someone says, protect the vulnerable? Go ahead, think about it for a sec. The biblical theme of God protecting the vulnerable is not something that I tend to hear us talk about a ton, which is why I was excited to spend some time today with Julie Lowe. Uh, she's probably CCS faculty member who has devoted the most time to thinking about children, and that has naturally given rise to a special sensitivity to the weak and the vulnerable in general. And we spent our time talking about both the big biblical picture and practical ways that we in the church can grow in living out the biblical mandate to protect the vulnerable around us. You're listening to CCEF On The Go, a podcast of the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. Here at CCEF, we are committed to restoring Christ to counseling and counseling to the church. You can find our podcasts, books, articles, videos, and more resources for Christ-centered pastoral care at our website, ccef.org. Hi, welcome to CCF On The Go. My name is Alistair Groves, your host. I'm on the faculty at CCEF, and today I am welcoming Julie Lowe back into the podcast. Julie, how are you? Good. I'm doing well. I'm glad to hear it. Um, Julie, the question I wanted to, to put today on the table is the question of protecting the vulnerable and how Scripture calls us to do that. And I guess I would just, um, I, I will narrow our conversation only slightly by saying this. I have heard you speak about this on a number of occasions, and having uh, had my own thinking significantly shaped by how you've talked about this, I have come away feeling like the idea of protecting the vulnerable, uh, which is really quite a prominent theme in Scripture, is often significantly underappreciated, um, I guess I could say in the church broadly. I'm not even sure exactly how I would narrow that, but it seems like a really important theme that we don't always spend a lot of time thinking about. And I would love to hear your thoughts on why the theme is important in Scripture, where the theme is important in Scripture, where you see us tending to miss that or, or fall short in living that out. Uh, I know you've got a lot of thoughts here, so we'll do our best to, to keep it contained to a relatively brief amount of time. But will you say a little bit about what, what strikes you about the theme in Scripture of protecting the vulnerable? Yeah, I think of probably the most common verse we use is that in Matthew 18, that if anyone causes one of these little ones uh, to believe in me, stumble, it would be better for him to have a large a millstone hung around his neck and drowned in the depths of the sea. And it paints this picture of the care for protecting particularly children. But as I thought about this, you see over and over themes in scripture about those who have been victimized. And I think we can take the principles of child protection and also to apply them to many vulnerable populations. For example, uh, children, the widowed, uh, the elderly, the disabled, whether it's physically or mentally or emotionally. You have the disadvantaged, those who suffer domestic violence or the abuse of power and position. Um, so there's so many uh, ways of thinking about vulnerable populations in our midst. 
And so for churches, there's a, a question to even say, well, who are the identified vulnerable that, that we see? So there's some, there's some churches that are in, um, in places where there are greater populations of elderly. And you hear all the time of elderly being taken advantage of financially, um, being abused. We hear horror stories of, of those who are, are mentally disabled, who will live in people's homes and be held hostage to some degree, and their money, their, their disability checks removed from them. You see uh, the refugee. There are some churches that might have large populations of refugee. So refugees, I should say. Um, so there's wisdom to say, well, in our particular congregation or context or ministry, who do we tend to see as being vulnerable? And what would it look like to love them and protect them well? So that'd probably be the first thing that comes to mind. Hmm. You know, it's interesting, even just uh, the way you're phrasing the question is, who who are we even talking about here? Who who are we trying to identify when we talk about the vulnerable? And um, as I think, uh, it's interesting, you, you go into the New Testament, I think my mind actually first runs more to the Old Testament and thinking about, mm. um, and, and it looks different in different passages, but how often you get the phrasing something like um, the the orphan, the widow, and the alien. Uh, I, would, I would think of it as probably the three sort of themes that stand out most in the Old Testament in terms of who should be protected. And, you know, you have uh, various prophets uh, bringing a case against Israel uh, and saying, Here is, here's the top of your list of sins is you have not sheltered the fatherless. You have not sheltered the widow. You have you've not done done justice and fairness with with the alien and you know in other places it's um the psalms being thankful that god has in fact uh been a father to the fatherless and been uh, a husband to the widow and has looked out for strangers and and you know even the the sort of uh, institutionalized memory um of you know our father was a wandering Aramean. We know what it's like to be vulnerable. Or, you know, in the wake of the Exodus, we were, we were released from slavery where we were taken advantage and, uh, and vulnerable and, um, and wounded and, and abused and extorted. And so how much, how much of even just the basis of the whole story leading forward to Matthew is, is centered on um, God is here protecting the vulnerable, uh, protecting the weak. And for, for me, that, um, those categories of alien, widow, fatherless, it's, it's just identifying people who don't have natural protectors, mm-hmm. people uh, who are easy to take advantage of um, in, in the system as it stands. Um, and then, you know, you see a book like Ruth, where that actually gets played out over the course of four chapters and a, a couple couple of decades and you see someone's life unfold in the face of that kind of vulnerability and you see the beauty of God's redemptive move uh, and then of course long term what he does through that so it for for me what what you're doing is saying um, this is not about some sort of rigid definition you're really trying to to say think ministry think love take that category of vulnerable and and don't just sort of sit there and be like, oh, okay, well, if a vulnerable person ever comes across my path, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll try to be good and help them. Get out there and look and think proactively and get, um, be reflective. Who are the vulnerable populations around us? I, I, I love that. 
Yeah, well, yeah, we think about it. We're, we're not only caught just to love people, but to actively protect and defend those that are not able to do so for themselves. So any violation of love must be seen as, as, um, as such, a violation of, of loving people. And how, how can we not be required to have a response as a believer? It's our shame when we sit back and do nothing or allow, allow evil to continue. I think of Romans 12 where it says, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Hmm. And there are, um, there are acts of evil out there. And I tend to look at those who prey on the vulnerable as, as an act of evil. Yeah. Why do I use that language? I just think it puts it in the right context where we're not, we're not tending to minimize, we're not tending to, um, to, to lessen the impact of people that have been victimized. And, that, that's what's heartbreaking, that when people are victimized, you often say they feel violated, they feel vulnerable, they feel exposed. And, um, and that is people who are actively preying on somebody weaker than them, that they can use them for their own benefit. Hmm. What, um, where would you say, if I could give, you know, one or two encouragements or places to spur people on or... You know, here's or here's where I have seen a number of times uh, where we as churches have dropped the ball on this. What what kinds of what are we missing? What are we not seeing? Where would you encourage or or perhaps you would say, actually, the issue is not an issue of not seeing. It's an issue of not acting. What uh, you've spent a lot of time thinking about this. Uh, where where do you see us having our, our greatest need to grow? Uh, I my gut reaction would be. Um putting others before ourselves. We, we tend to live in, um, in a little bubble in our own world. And I'm so guilty of this so many times. I'm just trying to get through the day and get everything done and go home. And it can keep me from seeing the needs around me. And so one of the thoughts is just us looking around and starting to ask some of these questions. Who, who are the potential vulnerable in our, our midst? And how can I be either a resource or help bring, you know, in the church at large, we talk about better and better protocols for protecting children. What would that look like to say, we have a high special needs group in our church. What does it look like to protect them? Um, who's going to be a resource to them when they need help with finances or when they need help with things they can't do on their own? Perhaps we have a large group of elderly how do we how do we honor them? How do we show respect for their stage of life, whether they're widowed or they tend to need more help with rides? And in the midst of that, that's that's actually what opens the door for them being vulnerable as well, their need. And when you have a population that has great need, is the possibility for people to come in to both help and both harm. So what does it look like then to establish some kind of boundaries or um, principles that there, we do this with children, there's always going to be two adults in the Sunday school room, or you have somebody monitoring the hall. What would it look like to think wisely and apply some of those principles to, to people who um, are going out to help the elderly or the disabled? And where are, where are the places they tend to be taken advantage of? And how can we help that provide safeguards for them? And how does the church actively take them under their wing and say, we care about you, we want to be a, an aid and a resource to you? 
Hmm. You know, I actually have a, a bone to pick with you on this one, Julie. You, uh, <laughs> you and I had some really helpful conversations a couple of years ago about specifically the issue of protecting children in church Sunday school programs and just developing wise policies uh, for for your church and how do we do Sunday school. And, you know, you just mentioned the two adults uh, in the room at all times, and that was something we had already been doing, but uh, we pushed further in that direction, uh, just ways to make sure that that wasn't getting accidentally violated for five minutes by this or that. And so we we took that forward, but <laughs> you also made this whole, uh, you know, it'd be good to have someone there in the wing just kind of monitoring sort of a, a child care wing supervisor or something like that. And I was like, that's a great idea. And then we did it. And then next thing I knew, I found myself on the schedule some Sundays to be the <laughs> child care wing supervisor. So now I'm like, man, Julie got me doing more work. And I that was sneaky. So, And you know what? You're bringing up actually a great point that that sometimes is the deterrent for people, that it means it requires more manpower, it requires yeah. more work, more time and effort. And we begin to think, well, do we really need it? Nothing's happened. Are we are we being too hypervigilant? And, you know, if you ask the question that way, we'll always come up with the wrong answer. But if you ask, what does it look like to, to guard and protect and love well, then we're always going to be proactive rather than reactive. Yeah. Well, I feel like that, what's the old, um, the old Gandhi quote, all that's required for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Mm, yeah. Uh, I think that's yeah. Gandhi. If it's not, I'm sure uh, some of you will email me and tell me who it actually is. <laughs> uh, I welcome those uh, emails. But, you know, there's something, if, if we're saying that to prey upon the vulnerable is evil, that that is a, a little act of Satan-ish behavior, if that, if that is to live out of, I am so intoxicated with my own desire to make myself what I want, that I am willing to exercise whatever kind of power I wield to harm another person for my good. I mean, that, that is the epitome of evil. Uh, right. and, and so many times we convince ourselves, uh, well, it's not really evil or it's not really hurting somebody or it doesn't really matter if it hurts them because or, or we just sear our consciences in, in some cases and, and uh, heart evil always hardens the heart. Um, but what you're pointing to is how much those of us who have no malicious intent, no desire to hurt children or the elderly or the disabled or whatever, you know, that that's still a a lack of love on our part, a lack of proactively going out and thinking through how can we make sure that you are as safe as we can make you and that there are resources there and that you are known or understood or that we understand where the danger points lie for you. If, if we uh, are not doing that, we are, um, at, at best, we are failing to be their shield and, and at worst, we're actually then exposing people to, to danger. If you uh, have bad child care policies in your church um, and, and you're not careful and you're not accountable and there's not a wise, uh, you know, two adults in the room at all times kind of thing going on, etc., um, you can actually be inviting people into a situation that, that is dangerous. And even if nothing happens, uh, we don't want to be people who invite the vulnerable into danger. Yes, and you're, you're bringing up a really good point. There, there are several there. One is 
churches and ministries can access people that even have a particular passion for for vulnerable populations. So there are people that might have a heart for elderly or might have a heart for special needs Sunday school class and then thinking how to love them well. And using people where they're gifted and they have a heart for those can be really helpful. So it all doesn't fall on pastors or the administration of a church, but you're creating a culture. You're, you're creating a culture where people look for those who are vulnerable in order to help them, where what tends to happen is you know, the evil that enters into churches to find the vulnerable because uh, Christians are known to be naive or easily duped or believed. And when you foster a culture in a church that says we proactively want to protect the vulnerable, you're doing two things. One is you're inviting people who have felt vulnerable or victimized in the past to see this church loves, this church cares, and it draws people in to feel safe and um, it woos them to the gospel and to Christ. The other thing it does is it puts up a big sign to those who are evil or predatorial in nature and says, we are not going to be a church that's easy to, to have access to, and our people are not going to be your prey. So you're inviting the, the weak and the needy to find a safe haven, and you're also putting a major roadblock up for those who are looking to prey upon those who are vulnerable. Which, which takes us right back to Paul and his concern for the wolves that would come in mm. among, among the sheep in the various churches. And, you know, he talks about just his, his heart and the weight on his heart uh, yeah. of false teachers and extorters and those who would come in and destroy the faith of those who are weaker um, or those who would take material advantage. Or, you know, he gets incensed when the rich are not waiting for the poor at communion. And just so many places where... Um, the hearts of Jesus and of Paul and of Peter and, and the authors who, who wrote the, uh, the New Testament again and again are saying we, we have such a sense of protective, sheltering mentality toward the sheep. I mean, that's the, the flock of, of Christ. Those who follow the Good Shepherd are, are sheep, and sheep need a lot of protection. Yeah, I think of even I think it's in Ezekiel 34 where it talks about the warning yeah. against shepherds who look out only for themselves and how the Lord says he will search out for his sheep and look after them. He will bring back the lost and the strays and there will be justice served. Um, and what a heavy burden there is when we, we turn a blind eye, we only look out for ourselves. Yeah. Well, Julie, thank you. This has uh, gotten my, my juices flowing, and it is, it, it's just one of those moments where I, I feel that, that uh, resurgence of conviction of um, it's one thing to say I'm not doing active evil, or at least not that I'm aware of, um, and, and it's another thing to say I'm proactively seeking out the vulnerable as Christ sought out uh, those who were dead, those who were in bondage, those who were mortally ill, um, and needed his saving and, and sheltering and still do. Um, and that was quite inconvenient and quite costly for him. And uh, that, is our, that is our model. Um, so, great, yeah, thanks, Julie. Uh, more conviction, that's just, what, that's just what I and I'm sure all of our <laughs> listeners needed today. Thank you for, for that. Anytime. So. <laughs> great. Well, Julie, thank you so much for the conversation. Thank you. Today's recommended resource for anyone who wants to go further with the topic 
is a blog Julie wrote, uh, a fairly meaty one, I might add, called Pastoral Wisdom and the Mandate to Report Abuse. You can find it on our website right next to today's episode if you want to go. Uh, it's at ccef.org podcast. And if this conversation today sparked any comments or suggestions you want to send our way, you can always email us at podcast at ccef.org. Thanks for listening. Until next time, blessings. Blessings.